Jesse, how's it going? Uh, so so, Katie, so so. Well, why's that? What's up? I've been trying to um, tell me if you've ever heard of this thing I'm struggling with. I think it's it's called salad sa- salad. <laughs> I've never. I'm not familiar with that. And what is it? It sounds like a like it, a. This is fucking crazy, man. You take like just a pile of vegetables, and that's a meal. Like no no pizza or anything? Yeah, yeah. As I'm eating it, my brain is so accustomed to eating other things that I imagine at some point some carbohydrates will just fly into my mouth, <laughs> but they never do. It's, ju- it's just vegetables, and I don't know what to do. Okay, so I have a solution for you, and this is actually how I know that your favorite food is pizza. 99% of your diet is pure pizza. Take the, the heaping plate full of vegetables and put it on top of the pizza. Ooh, that's a really good idea. Vegetables on pizza. Okay, no, 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 not veg- take take the, the leafy greens, the salad, and put that on top of the pizza. Interesting. I'm not kidding about this. This is the only way that I eat pizza is with a giant salad on top of it. Why do you, why will you not eat saladless pizza? Well, because it's just better that way. It's like a, like, I like it best with kale. Oh, Jesus uh, so you Christ. just take a kale, you make a kale salad and then you put that on top of your pizza and then you cover the entire thing with ranch dressing. We really need to just wipe out the Pacific Northwest. This is, this is like, <laughs> I was, I was hoping that like, as I was eating one of these salads, some sort of, um, offensive Italian carb fairy would manifest. And be like, it's a me. And then it's like his magic wand is a breadstick and he just shoves it in my mouth. Okay. It's a hate crime. It's a hate crime. You are listening to the nation's leading anti-Italian podcast, Blocked and Reported. I am – it's a me, Jesse Single. And I am Akeda Herzog. That was not – that was like Borat territory. Okay, whatever. Let's keep going. I like – all right. uh, So we've got – some interesting culture war stuff to discuss this week. We're going to focus on the wild world of YA Twitter. That's young adult fiction Twitter, which is one of the most psychotic online communities around. And I'm going to uh, mansplain this controversy to you. Am I not? Yes, I am very excited about this. I have been on vacation for the past week, so I have not really been paying attention to Twitter. Um and I have what the like little bits that I've seen are you just like it's like you you barfed on all of my Twitter. These people are very mad at you, so I, I am thrilled to hear about what you have done to instigate whatever you have instigated. Yeah, as as has happened uh, increasingly of late, as the weather has gotten colder and the days have grown shorter, I have violated my own rules about not being mad online. So I was just sort of. <laughs> tweeting angrily about this thing for a while but it's um it's a rich subject so i'm looking forward to diving in but before we do katie could i do a little bit of much needed self-promotion finally yes finally you've never done it before i'm ready for it okay so uh yeah just switching to full earnestness mode which is very uncomfortable for me. Uh, I have my first ever book. It is coming out April 6th of next year. It is called The Quick Fix, Why Fad Psychology Can't Cure Our Social Ills. This is a book about all these sort of snazzy, TED Talky ideas that psychologists have produced in recent years that they say will solve problems or help to solve problems like racism and educational inequality and gender inequity. My book is just an attempt to explain like why we keep falling for these ideas that in fact don't work. Like what it is about our culture and our desire for quick and clean and easy fixes to complicated problems that cause us to, uh, you know, uh, be seduced by these ideas. Because when you dig into these ideas, 
there's not much there. I talk about ideas like the implicit association test, this concept of teaching low-income grit kids grit, making them grittier so they'll perform better in school. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there. This is like obviously the biggest journalistic project of my life. It will have been four years from signing the contract to publishing the book. And I hope you'll consider pre-ordering this if you're able to. Like pre-order sales make a huge difference in the world of books. And the numbers you need for your publisher to sort of perk up and be like, huh, we should invest in this. They're not that overwhelming. So like even if a small proportion of our listeners pre-order this book, and I'll include a link in the show notes, that would uh, help me out a great deal. Katie, how many copies have you ordered so far? <laughs> I have ordered 1,000 million copies of your book. I am actually very excited about this book because if this book is a success, it's going to be also – it's going to trickle down to this podcast. Uh, that said, I'm looking at – I'm currently looking at the Goodreads, um, the Goodreads page for your book. And I hate to tell you, there's one one written review – by a man named Sean Hutchinson. Uh, it has one star. He writes, I wouldn't trust this charlatan to write a grocery list. <laughs> so what's amazing about that is Goodreads lists my book twice. The version he reviewed isn't even the real version. It's like an old out-of-date subtitle for a non-existent British version. Why would Goodreads let people review books that haven't come out yet? Like, What is the upside of that? Amazon doesn't do that. That is a good question. Uh, on the sidebar, there's a, a tab that's related articles, and uh, the related book is the Mariah Carey bi biography, Mariah Carey telling her own story, the meaning of Mariah Carey. Yeah, which is exactly right, because the quick fix, Why Fad Psychology Can't Cure Our Social Ills, is based mostly on Mariah Carey's autobiography. The, the connections are not obvious at first, but within a few pages of reading my book, you'll be like, this has a lot to do with Mariah Carey's life. So uh, I hope people enjoy those connections. You know what I really hope is with your book? I hope that you get invited on Joe Rogan. I really hope that what happens is that you get invited on Joe Rogan to talk about it. And you are so anxious that you get horrible diarrhea when you're supposed to get on the plane and go. And so you send me instead. <laughs> so, okay, first of all, you know, I would never platform a bigot like Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, you would be the one platforming him, platforming him in that case. That was that was literally Matt Iglesias went on Joe Rogan and someone was like, why are you platforming <laughs> It's like, dude, he's 25 times bigger than Matt Iglesias. Uh, Joe Rogan, if you're listening, which I know you are, I will gladly come on your podcast three or four times. Uh, I'll do you a favor. It'll be free content. He, Jesse Singel will platform you, Joe Rogan. He will do that. Richard Spencer, I just want you to know. <laughs> If you have a podcast, uh, Adolf Hitler, listen, uh, okay. Okay. I think I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'll, um, I'll occasionally, you know, when we're doing our sort of housekeeping, I'll ask people to pre-order the book. I'll leave it at that. There's a lot more information online. I did tweet storm about it. I'm going to become like a huge self-promoting douchebag in the months to come, Katie. I hope you're ready for that. I am totally ready for that. I, I, you know, I am honestly, I say this, this is difficult for me, but I am not kidding when I say that I am very excited for this book to come out. I think it's going to be really good. That was hard for me. Did we just have a moment? <laughs> <laughs> because there is not enough, there are not enough horse fuckers in this world making, you know, making a living. So I just systematically <laughs> excluded. Okay. We've occasionally had people write in to ask us to talk about young adult fiction, especially so in the last week or so because I've been tweeting manically about this stuff. Katie, what's your overall level of familiarity with this strange online subculture? 
It seems like a shit show. That's that's sort of my level of familiarity with it. I like to watch it from a distance. I have not uh, dive in, dove in. What's the word? I have not dived into this. Divin. Div- 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 not dive into this particular subculture. Um, mostly because I don't have to. Because you and Kat Rosenfield uh, uh, do it for me. So thank you for that. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. Um, he said with a sigh. Uh, okay, so so young adult fiction. Everyone knows what that is. That is the world of like Harry Potter, Twilight. Books geared at- Did you just say Harry Potter? Yeah. Jesse, I cannot believe you would bring up that turf on this podcast. <laughs> H, what I meant to say was H star star <laughs> R-Y-P star 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 star. <laughs> Have you noticed everyone doing that lately? Okay. <laughs> like- okay. Here's my favorite. Okay. I, I was going to save this for later in the show, but since you brought it up, there's this, there's this tweet in response to what we're about to talk about, your involvement in this YA stuff that came across my feed. Stop following J slash slash e e e s s slash e s slash i n g a l the man is a vulture with a weird obsession with why and a boner for spending any community discussions to fit his wah cancel culture agenda while also chuckling about the drama i think it's very kind of this person to assume that you can have boners <laughs> completely <laughs> impotent uh, also that's offensive because i actually she spelled out perfectly the name of my lithuanian cousin Lithuanian. there's slashes in the names the more slashes you have in lithuania okay i don't want to do a whole tangent on this but in lithuanian society which is where some of my people come you accrue slashes in your name the more successful you are like the more sheep the more sheep you own for example <laughs> the lithuanians are about to boycott this podcast uh Oh, God. Okay. So young adult fiction is sort of a very weird winner take all corner of the literary world. Like there's no corner of book publishing where most authors make all that much money. But my sense of YA is it's like very winner take all for every Twilight or H bleep P bleep. There's so many people who like get tiny advances, who are just scrapping to hold on, who have full-time jobs in addition to being young adult fiction writers. So a lot of this precarity and jealousness and uh, resentment has recently manifested itself as as social justice concerns. And, you know, fiction, uh, young adult publishing, like so many other areas of publishing – you have huge advantages if you like came from an Ivy League school and you have family money. And whenever there's a class element, there's a race element on top of that because white people are more likely to have money and to be able to go into publishing or have a dad who works at a publishing house. So there's legitimate critiques to be made of that. I don't want to act otherwise. But what's happened in YA fiction is like this weird call-out culture where someone will accuse someone else's book of being racist or transphobic or whatever else – most of the time, like these complaints are just not based on normal adult reading comprehension. They're really conjured out of thin air. And then everyone just sort of overnight will pile on this book and treat it as, you know, as though it's basically Mein Kampf. Um, maybe I should give a specific example, uh, so people know what I mean. But, um, you mentioned, uh, Kat Rosenfield, right? Yeah. Close friend of the podcast, friend of ours. She's a, a guy, YA author herself. She wrote a 20, 20- 17 piece in Vulture called the toxic drama on YA Twitter. Um, so let's just, let's just gauge our own reading abilities. Katie, when you were in kindergarten and someone told you the story of Little Red Riding Hood, 
I feel like you were able to understand that like the presence of a wolf didn't mean that the author of the story was pro wolf, right? You know, let me uh, reach back into my five year old brain. Yeah, I think I probably got that. <laughs> It's, see, I mean, I'm not being a dick here. That seems like a pretty basic thing to understand, that if there's a bad character in a book, that doesn't mean the author approves of that character, right? Right. Yes. I, like, it's the Bible, right? You know. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, I actually, I, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I should take that back. I don't know. Maybe God does approve of like – No, there's a lot of bad people in the Bible. Right. And God does yeah, not yeah. approve of that? Well, it's un, it's fuzzy. Unclear. OK. Go ahead. OK. Let's talk about the Bible instead. <laughs> in the beginning, <laughs> the earth was with a toxic Bible. Toxic Bible. There's lots of toxic masculinity in the Bible. I have not read it, but I have heard that. God is a big proponent of the gender binary. He really is. <laughs> why, why can't it be Adam and Eve and just one more? Stevie. I think it would be Stevie. Stevie. <laughs> Uh, okay, so so when Kat Rosenfield wrote her piece, and this is like the must-read piece if you want to understand this stuff and sort of see in textual form how this stuff works, I'll include a link to it and a link to some of my own coverage of it. In her telling, this book called The Black Witch got piled on because of quotes like this. Here's a quote from the book. The Celts are not a pure race like us. They're more accepting of intermarriage, and because of this, they're hopelessly mixed. That's a racist character in a book talking about a race called the Celts who she is racist against or he is racist against. A book blogger went viral because she read that quote and then wrote, yes, you just read that with your own two eyes. This is one of the times my jaw dropped in horror and I had to walk away from this book. Oh, my God. The same book, book blogger called The Black Witch, quote, the most dangerous offensive book I have ever read. Wow. Wow. So I, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to go over and over with these examples, but I think if you're listening, you probably understand what I'm saying when like these, these, uh, critiques don't map onto normal adult understanding of what literature is. Like to say a racist character said a racist thing, therefore the author is racist and the book is problematic is literally something a kindergartner can understand is not a valid complaint. You know, this sort of reminds me of all of the sort of drama and controversy over books like Huck Finn and, uh, and what's the Harper Lee book? Mockingbird to kill a mockingbird. To kill a mockingbird. Right. Yeah. Where people have had to for years, like again and again, explain that showing that like demonstrating that racism exists is not a fucking endorsement of racism. It's like, do we all need to put like retweets do not in, like equal endorsements back in our Twitter bios? Yeah. Um, quotes do not, do not equal endorsement. Characters do not equal endorsement. It's just – this is a ridiculous way of looking at the world. Yes, and and that's part of the reason like if you actually attempt to engage with the people on YA Twitter who who fuel these campaigns, it's difficult to because this is going to sound condescending but but they have – or they pretend to have a childlike understanding of literature and what like text is and the difference between – a character's views and an author's views. Like, how can you talk about literature with someone who doesn't understand those distinctions? And these are not, these are not like random people on Goodreads. These oh, are no, actual no, book no. critics, right? Okay. That's what's so weird is like among them are, are authors and editors and agents. The one group that is almost entirely absent from this is young readers. That's what's weird. It's like, ah. I think that I'm, I think I'm stealing this from Kat Rosenfield, but like why the YA audience is about half adults and half like under 18 minor readers. It is all these things are driven by adults in their twenties and thirties and forties and sometimes older. And they're always, uh, presented in the guise of we are trying to protect vulnerable young readers from racism and transphobia and stuff like that. 
It's interesting how often protect the children, uh, how often that sort of pro- that idea proliferates, and no one like political side has a monopoly on that. No, um, yeah. you see that all over the place. Think of the children. Yeah, there were there were in the past, you know, congressional hearings over comic books that was protect the children. There was a panic over Dungeons and Dragons that was protect the children. We've talked about the satanic sex abuse panic. It isn't a left or right wing thing. It's just sort of an outrage thing. Although in this case, it's sort of um, draped in progressive clothing. Um, okay, so a couple other quick examples of books that were unfairly tarred in this manner. Blood Air by Emily Wenzhou. Publication of the whole book was delayed because of these bad faith complaints. Basically, uh, she's Asian. She's an immigrant to the U.S. She wrote a book that touches on tropes pertaining to indentured servitude in Asia, which is still a thing that happens. A bunch of American readers took bits of the galley out of context and said – thought she was referring to African-Americans and to black slavery as though those are the only forms of slavery in the world. That caused such an uproar. She pulled her own book and then retooled it and then uh, republished it, I guess, addressing those issues. And then there was a, a book called A Place for Wolves by Kosoko Jackson. Jackson himself was like one of the big leaders of these pylons. He got canceled uh, because he tried to write a gay love story that took place during the Kosovo Civil War. And people were mad. People misunderstood various things he wrote. That book just got canceled entirely. That one I read, it was actually. It did? Yeah. Just, so they does that, that one didn't didn't even get published. They completely pulled it. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, that I mean that one is especially funny because he was a sensitivity reader. Yeah. Yes. Not sensitive enough. I read right. that one. I obtained a copy of that one and read it. It is such a shitty book. It's just so poorly written. But most of the specific complaints about why it was too offensive to publish were just wrong. Like people just made stuff up or misunderstood basic things. Um, so they, it was canceled for the wrong reasons. Yes, it should have been canceled because it was a bad book. <laughs> I think any book that doesn't meet my aesthetic standards should be pulled from the shelves yeah. and burned in the town square. <laughs> you you sound like Grace Lavery. Okay, continue. Uh, deep cut. Um, so part of the reason why Twitter is so toxic is they have this strange rule where, um, okay, let me let me use us as an example. Let's say I went online and said my podcast co-host Katie Herzog hates Jewish people. True. Um, this is a pretty realistic one. I, I just want to keep it within our realm of understanding. Not all Jewish people, Jesse, just you. Yeah, exactly. But but let's say I said that and then a third person screen capped my tweet and said, I mean, that's a pretty big allegation to launch at KD, especially without any evidence, just pointing out that my, my accusation was questionable. According to the world rules of YA Twitter, that person is harassing me. Okay. So harassment, if if you highlight someone else's accusation and say, I question this, that is harassment. Me accusing you of anti-Semitism without evidence is not harassment. Okay, gotcha. So asking for evidence is harassment. Is harassment. And they'll either present that as you are, quote, opening them up to harassment uh, or you are launching a pylon. As you've pointed out, people will often then complain about harassment without providing evidence. Um you know, we saw a version of this in the whole uh, – in, in a non-YA context with the whole Vox blow-up over Matt Iglesias where one of Iglesias's colleagues basically said that he had made her unsafe by signing the Harper's letter and then I and others pointed out that that's ridiculous and criticized her and, and I was accused of harassment as were others. Right. So she wasn't accused of harassment because she like told her bosses that Matt was making her unsafe. 
you were accused of harassment because you criticized her for writing an open letter to her bosses saying that Matt signing an open letter made her <laughs> unsafe. Yeah. And, and so the point is, you know, harassment is a fuzzy term. Sometimes, you know, I think spreading false rumors about someone is a form of harassment, but the, but the particular feature that YA Twitter has embraced of this discourse is you will never see someone get yelled at for launching a false accusation on the basis of racism or transphobia or whatever. You will frequently see anyone who questions that allegation being accused of harassment. Asking for evidence is harassment in this world. Right. Does this, would this go both ways? Like, obviously you're going to get accused of harassment because of who you are. Would this happen if Kosoko Jackson or someone like that asked for, uh, someone who's in the good graces of the YA community, um, asked for, for, you know, some sort of, uh, some sort of evidence? I think it would depend on the circumstance. There's like a few sort of top dog figures who seem, somewhat immune to cancellation like like one of the the biggest sort of leaders of these pylons is a YA author named Heidi Heilig uh sure enough someone accused her book of being like i think anti pacific islander basically because she wrote a book that touched on those themes and did a long burn thread but that didn't gain any purchase because she's like at the top of the pecking order gotcha. so i think in some cases Kosoko Jackson I, I think what really makes you vulnerable is if you are a first time author with a highly anticipated book because then you're seen as climbing the ladder and people want to sort of cut you down. Right, right. But of course, race is also a big part of it. Like, frankly, if you're white, you may have enjoyed structural advantages to enter publishing, but you're much more susceptible to cancellation because, um, you know, because you're white. As it should be. As it should be. Okay, so those are the basic sorts of people who inhabit YA Twitter and the crazy rules they follow as they're like constantly – viciously trying to destroy one another, spreading rumors about one another, blah, blah, blah. Any questions so far? No, I think I'm ready to publish my first YA book about a black detransition immigrant. <laughs> now, uh, does she detransition from transitioning her gender or her nationality? Actually, well, race, race, sex, gender, and nationality, all of them. <laughs> I'm just switching everything. I, I uh, wish that you hadn't called her she. Really, it's sort of a, that's sort of a misgendering. She's she's more of a there. The one the one nugget I forgot is that um, Kat Rosenfield and I have both become like really hated figures among some YA people, and that's because of that rule that you're not allowed to like ask for evidence or highlight crazy claims. So uh, the w one of the two times in my life when someone approached me in person or I met someone in person and they told me they didn't like my work was I was at sort of a, a small party and I met someone who turned out to be an editor at Tor, which is like a major sci-fi publisher, one of the biggest. And she said, I can't remember the exact quote, but when I told her I found out she worked in sci-fi and was like, oh, I've written a little bit about these culture wars. She said something like, I know who you are. Your work hurt my friends. <laughs> oh, it's like, who touched you? Jesse Singles' work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And literally, my work is literally screen capping her friend's dumb tweets and writing about how they're crazy. Uh, it's just so – I have so much trouble getting over this idea that person A publicly makes a radical or inflammatory claim. Person B is the bad person for being like, huh, that doesn't make sense. You should provide evidence of that. Okay, Katie, are you ready for the latest and biggest YA blow up for the main event? Yep, let's do it. But first, a word from our sponsors. 
Jesse, butt stuff isn't just for Christian teens anymore. In every corner of this planet, people of all ages, races, ethnicities, tribes, sexes, genders, religions, tax brackets, astrological signs, educational achievements, and military status are discovering the sensual pleasures of a sparkling clean butthole. And the number one best way to make your butthole shine is to use the Hello Tushy Modern Bidet Attachment. Bidet, you might ask? Isn't that some sort of fancy French thing that requires building permits and renovations and blowtorches and hours of intensive training to use correctly? It used to be. Back in the Dark Ages, the only people who could afford bidets were French aristocrats and New York Times journalists. But the Hello Tushy Modern Bidet Attachment changes all of that by attaching to your existing toilet. There's no additional electricity or extra plumbing needed. You don't have to buy a whole new toilet. And it cleans your butt with a precise stream of fresh water, all for just $79. Plus, Hello Tushy will cut toilet paper use by 80%, so it pays for itself simply by how much TP it saves you. Jesse, what are you going to do with all that money you save on toilet paper? Buy yourself some new cargo shorts for Jewish gamers with non-traditional thighs? Okay, this is where I read the thing you wrote. Just read the script. Okay. Uh, actually, since it's the holiday season, I was thinking about donating it to a good cause, like the... Uh, Blocked and Reported Foundation for <laughs> Unwed Horses. God damn it, kitty. Does that actually exist? You would know. Get 10% off plus free shipping right now at hellotushy.com slash barpod. That's hellotushy.com slash barpod for 10% off and free shipping. hellotushy.com slash barpod. Katie, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night choking and screaming and crying because you accidentally inhaled one of the countless scraps of discarded dental floss littering your decrepit hovel of a Brooklyn apartment? Jesse, I don't live in a decrepit hovel of a Brooklyn apartment. I live on my own island. Yeah, that that hasn't happened to me either. (laughs) But it sure sounds unpleasant. That's why I'm grateful for the existence of Quip's sleek, reusable floss pick. I mean, everyone has heard of the Quip Electric Toothbrush. It's the talk of the town, literally the biggest story of 2020. But studies have shown that not everyone has heard of Quip's reusable floss pick, and that's a shame because it is far and away one of the most fully featured reusable floss picks to be released in this country in this particular time period. The durable handle is easy to guide, restrings with a click, and it comes with a compact mirror dispensing case for on-the-go. Plus, a single refill pod replaces over 180 single-use plastic flossers, so it's better for your teeth and the environment. This holiday season, check out Quip's exclusive deals. If you go to getquip.com slash barpod right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash barpod. Spell G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash barpod. Quip. Better oral health made simple. Okay, uh, so on to the main event of this particular YA blow up. So basically what happened was um, five or six or seven days ago, depending on when you hear this, a diversity consultant named Lorena, I think Herman is how you pronounce her last name. I, I tried to check online, but there, she didn't see her doing any speaking events or anything. But um, she's Dominican, spelled German, so I think it's Herman. Uh, she runs an organization called Multicultural Classroom. And she was tweeting about this ongoing fight over the classics and the literary canon and and whether they should be taught or whether they should be replaced because they're sort of – too problematic. You're familiar with that basic argument, right? Yeah, this isn't a new thing. This is the, you know, the problem of dead white men being taught in, you know, like literature classes and history books or whatever. Yep. 
Uh, so on November 30th, Herman tweeted, did y'all know that many of the classics were written before the 50s? Think of U.S. Wait, did she say y'all? Yeah, she said y'all. Okay, now I think that's problematic right there. Uh, Dominican appropriating Southern culture? Exactly. <laughs> you should make that point on Twitter, Katie. <laughs> I would like to have a word with her. Good luck to you. She said, okay, so did y'all know that many of the classics were written before the 50s? No way. <laughs> I had no idea. Crazy. Next, we're going to know that many of the classic songs were written before the 50s. What? Uh, continuing. Think of U.S. society before then and the values that shaped this nation afterwards. That is what is in those books. That is why we got to switch it up. It ain't just about, quote, being old. Hashtag disrupt text, which I assume is part of some sort of activist movement to disrupt the literary canon. Okay. This is when another woman, Jessica Clues, Clues, C-L-U-E-S-S. Again, I tried to, it's Clues, call it Clues. She made the mistake of chiming in. Uh, she's the author of the Kingdom of Fire series, appears to be an established YA author. She found what Herman was saying, like, really stupid, and she did this long, exacerbated tweet storm. I'll include a link to some coverage of it. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's very long, but let me just read the, um, the start of it and the key bits. <clears throat> The context she's clearly trying to provide is like it's obviously not the case that anything written pre-50s is bad and clearly even stuff written a long time ago can contain important messages and just be valuable literature. So here's what she wrote, quote, if you think Hawthorne was on the side of the judgmental Puritans in the Scarlet Letter, then you are an absolute idiot and should not have the title of educator in your Twitter bio. This anti-intellectual, anti-curiosity bullshit is poison, and I will stand here and scream that it is sheer goddamn evil until my hair falls out. I do not care. If you think Upton Sinclair was on the side of the meatpacking industry, then you are a fool and should sit down and feel bad about yourself. Ah, yes, that embodiment of brutal subjugation and toxic masculinity, Walden. <laughs> sit and spin on attack. Remember that, remember that line, sit and spin on attack. Sounds painful. Continuing. Remember how Louisa May Alcott wrote Little Women to uphold the patriarchy? If you do, stop taking drugs you have. <laughs> John Steinbeck writing with sneering disgust about agricultural laborers and the grapes of wrath and of mice and men is what I would say if I were a so-called educator who was in fact a charlatan. So she continues in this vein for a while. She finishes with like a calmer, you know, description of what she thinks is the right way to approach these books. But clearly she's exacerbated by this idea that like it's just evil people and that we should throw the whole thing out. Uh, baby with the bathwater is basically her argument. And did she, was she like quote tweeting, uh, Herman or was this? Yes. Okay. I left that out. She quote tweeted that thing that I just read to you about the 1950s. Okay. Like a full quote tweet, like including the woman's handle uh, or like a screen cap. She, Screen cap the text itself, and then I think toward the end of her tweet storm, she specifically tagged in Herman and was basically like, this is for you. So it was like okay. – it was very angry and frustrated and clearly calling her out for what she thought was a bad take. But like this is not particularly heated by either the standards of Twitter or YA Twitter. Like Twitter – YA Twitter is nothing but denunciations of one another. So this like – and like sit on attack is sort of almost like a folksy – like it, it's just not – this is like what percentile of Twitter offensiveness? Like 25th percentile? Oh, if that. I mean, like sit and spin. Like that, I guess the tack it makes it a little bit more graphic. Um, but I would not particularly call that like, uh, you know, like a threat. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put you on this tag and spin you around. Now that would be a threat. I'm going to ask you to commit violence against <laughs> yourself. 
Okay. So unfortunately, Herman did not take this well, and she instantly accused uh, Kloos of racism for disagreeing with her. She, quote, retweeted this long tweet storm and said, sounds like I struck a Confederate nerve. Oh. <laughs> Uh, any of my white friends want to jump in and get your girl? She's big mad. So come get your girl is like what, what you say about a white person who is being racist. Um, there was nothing, I, I just want to be clear about this. Like you can say that the tweet storm was mean or offensive or too harsh. There's nothing remotely racist in it, about it. Like she's criticizing a Dominican person, but you can obviously criticize someone of another race on the merits without it being racist. And it's crazy that like we even need to point that out. Jesse, 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 you are operating by the old rules, not YA rules. All right. So once Herman called, uh, Kloos racist, that launched like one of the most insanely hysterical pylons you'll ever see. Like, if you want to dive deeply into it, you can just search uh, Clue's name on Twitter. But let me just give you some of the, the examples. Wait, how do you spell her name? C-L-U-E-S-S. Let me just give you, let me just give you some examples. And, and many of these took that sit on attack thing as like a legitimate violent threat. So here's one example. The original post you're attacking is far more complex and nuanced than your Sparknotes level diatribe, wrote one guy, at Random House Kids. That's Jess Kloos's publisher, so he's trying to like get her in trouble with her publisher. Why is your writer attacking one of the most thoughtful and critical language arts teachers working today? You can reach Jessica Clues publisher at this email address. Wow. And then he includes the email address. Fellow white educators, y'all should make sure Random House Kids knows what one of their authors is spewing. I'm sure Clues will cry witch hunt, cancel culture, etc., etc., and then make a faulty and sloppy 1984 comparison. But her tweet isn't criticism or intellectual engagement. It's bullying. I love the guy who is like publicizing her boss's email address to try to get her i guess she has a book coming out in 2021 he seems to be trying to make sure her book is canceled he's accusing her of bullying that sort of like sums it up right right a couple other quick tweets let's be clear this was not really about debates about the canon it was about you hurling violent tweets at a black educator violent tweets hurling violent tweets wow this is my favorite example because it really captures like the sort of um Salem witch trial level discourse here. Cause like, remember one of the as interesting aspects of the witch trials was like, people would come forward and provide evidence and be like, this witch killed my husband and cursed my family. And I saw her floating in the woods. And it was just these, this exaggerated testimony to try to get people burned. But, um, <laughs> this quote's great. The gross violence of it has washed over me in waves since I encountered it. I cannot fathom the pain and horror of being the victim of this abuse. Oh my god. I cannot I cannot fathom the pain and horror of being the victim of this abuse. If you read that, you would think that like Herman had been inundated with death threats or that someone had physically assaulted her. This is in reference to saying sit and spin on attack. That is ridiculous. That that the idea that this is like violence. I mean, it sounds like someone killed her dog. Similarly, there was another reference to quote the black women and women of color she virulently harmed. So she virulently harmed not only Herman but just women in color as a group. She virulently harmed them because she did a tweet storm criticizing one Dominican woman. So, uh, Clues, as one is often forced to do in these situations, she apologized to Herman. We'll include a, a link to that. It was a pretty, um, 
you know, I feel bad for Clues, but it was sort of a pathetic apology because he just sort of took the accusations at their word. She could have said, like, I'm sorry my tone was harsh and that I let disagreement get away from me. It was more than that. Did she apologize for her racism? <laughs> let me double check. I think she did not cede that territory, but I'm clicking on it right here. I'm writing to apologize for a thread I tweeted yesterday. No, she mentions inclusivity. I don't think she calls herself racist at any point. But um, okay, well, she <laughs> at least she didn't do that. At least she didn't promise to go take some fucking Robin D'Angelo courses. Do you think the people who accused her of basically violently assaulting a Dominican woman did or did not accept her apology? Yeah, I'm sure they're like, never mind, we forgive you, totally. Let me just read some of the responses to her apology. Your apology doesn't go far enough in recognizing the racism and violence in your actions. I hope your fellow white followers see that. I might have said that it's a good start, but you still have a lot more work to do if your apology felt at all sincere, but it doesn't. And what sort of work could she possibly do? Like Venmo, uh, Venmo, uh, Herman for her, for her emotional labor or something like that? Oh, I mean, that is what one person suggested because one oh person took her, who's like an educator, took her, uh, apology and crossed it out and revised it in red pen. And one of the things she put forward is that she suggested Clueless should, uh, donate the proceeds of her next book basically <laughs> to her mom's organization i mean there's oh could you God. do you need any more evidence that a lot of this is just like straight up professional jealousy and literal like shakedown attempts i mean right it's, it's a power struggle some of the other responses um or one of the other great responses to the apology was you threw violent and insulting words at a lauded black educator who is very pregnant as evident by her twitter name oh my god and pregnant all- a pregnant woman too <laughs> A pregnant person? If a pregnant woman sits on attack, that can hurt the penis. <laughs> it's basically infanticide. It's a double murder. Forced abortion. It's a group murder. Yeah. Uh, and all you can muster up is a kind of copy and paste corporate apology? Come on. All right. Enter Jess Clue's agent, a guy named Brooke Sherman. Um, what's, so you have an agent. What's your basic understanding of like what agents do and why they exist? Uh, my agent's job is to sell my book. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah, and and to just represent your interests and help you both make money, right? He, yes, he's he's there to support me. One of the weird sort of like outgrowths or like parasites to have grown out of the toxic YA Twitter scene is this type of agent who becomes sort of a Twitter micro celebrity, fifteen, twenty, twenty five thousand followers, and instead of doing what agents usually do, which is like very much try to stay behind the scenes and work for their clients in private. Like I, I see my agent's job as, as representing me as negotiating deals and as sometimes being a dick in private so that I don't have to. That's why I give my agent 15%. These agents are very much like on the, the front lines of the social justice wars on Twitter. They're very actively taking part in these unpersoning campaigns and sometimes starting them and cheering them on. So this is the agent who wants to be the celebrity. Yes. Yeah. They're agents who want to be Twitter micro celebrities. Um, so yeah, the, the, these sort of micro celebrity agents are like big time Twitter flamethrowers. And after the pylon against Jed's clues went viral, Brooks Sherman, her agent issued a statement denouncing her actions but not saying he would drop her he concluded his statement by saying i realized that my silence up to now may have given the impression that i am indifferent to what took place yesterday or even that i am complicit he he didn't respond literally the day the thing happened so that means he's complicit i promise this i am listening 
I'm working to elevate the voices of those who have been historically marginalized in our industry, and I'm committed to engaging in the hard conversations needed to move us all forward together. Okay, so her agent is throwing her under the bus. Yep. But the problem is he didn't drop her as a client. So people immediately started tweeting at him that he hadn't done enough. Okay, so he threw her under the bus, but he didn't run the bus over her. Yeah, he. She's at this point, she's wedged in the bus, and he's turned the bus <laughs> on, but he hasn't yet, like built up the um whatever he needs in his heart to run her over physically but she is trapped under the bus screaming at this point okay he's got his foot on the brake right now as he's got his foot on the brake here's here's some of the responses he got <clears throat> quote this is barely a start your client named lorena and suggested physical harm again sit on attack is suggesting physical harm <laughs> you need to name lorena you need to reach out to lorena you need to call out the racist mindset and actions of your client and you need to make it clear that this will absolutely not be tolerated. If you need a white person to coach you through how to better apologize and respond, please feel free to reach out. Happy to coach you and deepen your learning around what actual allyship should look and sound like. What is it about this manner of speaking? Because I feel like I can like reproduce it very easily, but it's hard to even describe what it sounds like. It's scolding, but it's also at the same time this like weird self-promotional thing. Self-promotional, like I, I can help teach you to be a better person. Right, right. Here's another one. This is from another one of these celebrity agents. Uh, this one's – or micro-celebrity agents. Her name's Laura Zatz. Brooks, as an agent, you are complicit in your role in raising your author's platforms and their careers, which includes any public statements they make. I need to see you take responsibility for that and use your power for substantive action and call this what it is. There's so much like, I need you to, you need to, you need to. It, a lot of it comes across as like a teacher, you know, instructing a 10 or a nine year old, right? Yeah, it's the like the do better thing. Yes, I am so disappointed in you for not firing your client, Brooks. Right, Come on, right. do better. And, and this is all unrolling publicly. This is just like this. It's so unprofessional. It's insane. Everyone just publicly peacocking their virtue. Uh, that like, if there's anything that sums up so many of the controversies we cover, it's this idea that nothing can just be private. Like the agent can't just quietly support his his client or try to undo the damage. Everyone has to be a a star in the show and to publicly express whatever. And not just support his client. He also can't like privately go and say like this was a mistake on your part. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, it's just everything is a public spectacle. And I think part of the problem is that on YA Twitter, if you don't immediately express outrage or whatever, someone will be like, why haven't you spoken up yet? Why haven't you spoken up yet? Uh, so anyway, two days later, Brooke Sherman caved to this pressure. Here's what he said on Twitter. I hold myself to certain personal and professional standards for the values I support. I no longer represent Jessica Kluse. Her tweets against Lorena Herman earlier this week were racist and unacceptable. That's fucking crazy, man. Like, like for an agent to, that's a fully fabricated allegation that she said anything racist because she clearly didn't for an agent to help spread a false rumor against his client instead of supporting her. That's, that's not normal. Right. And this is also going to poison her without, throughout the industry, including in, when she tries to find another agent to replace the shitty one who just dropped her. Yeah. I should hook her up with my agent. My agent isn't on Twitter. Agent should not be on, neither is mine. Or like if he is, it's just like a, a account where he never tweets. If your agent is on Twitter, uh, that's a bad sign. If your agent publicly chimes in on every fucking internet controversies, fire your agent. If your agent ever suggests they wouldn't have your back, 
you know, for anything short of like murder or rape, they're, they're, these agents are all publicly demonstrating that they should not have any clients. Like, and what's weird to me is like writers talk to one another. I'm not sure writers will, other than like idiots like me, will publicly criticize these agents on Twitter. But like, do you think anyone who's normal is looking at Brooks Sherman's performance here and be like, yep, that's the guy I want in my corner? Yeah, that's I want the guy who's going to publicly denounce me if I fuck up. I find this so disgusting. And part of the reason I think I'm fixated on YA stuff is it is only a step or two removed from our world. And in our worlds, like we said, you have a Vox person saying that her colleague made her feel unsafe for signing a fucking milk toast free speech letter with, with Noam Chomsky. Uh, this view that just any kind of disagreement is a horribly violent act that if you disagree with someone, you're bigoted. It's just these people are so frustrating it's just to watch how they understand the world and i when i say these people like the the most angry and aggressive ones tend to be white because i think they understand their position is a little bit precarious like brooke sherman is white and as a a white male guy in this field i think he maybe feels a little bit vulnerable i can't look inside the guy's head but i think that makes sense as a as a reason why he might respond the way he did yeah, absolutely. So, Brooke Sherman, so I, I've heard his name before. Didn't he do something fucked up to Kat Rosenfeld? Yeah, so in Kat's really important vulture piece about the toxic drama of YA Twitter, uh, she, she quotes this agent, not by name, saying, quote, I think we're in a really ugly part of the process. Uh, but basically saying, like, as we're trying to figure this diversity stuff out, there's going to be some chaos. Um, he subsequently went online and basically said that Kat had, had committed some journalistic error or misrepresented his quote, which she didn't do at all. And that, that pissed me off because really what happened was he sensed he was vulnerable because he was being presented as one of the voices saying some of the stuff goes too far. But he wasn't even named in the piece? He wasn't even named, but then he subsequently said that my quote was misrepresented. And he, I at the time called him a liar. It seemed like he just straight up lied about this. This guy seems like a bad dude. So he's not named in the piece, but he uses the opportunity to sort of like elevate his own platform and then accuse Kat of misrepresenting him. Yeah, which Kat didn't do at all. Kat's a good journalist. Um, That's uh, fucked up. Th- this is a, these are not good qualities for an agent to have. Like you should not. Like if you, I don't know, man, agents should, there's a reason, there are many important tactical and strategic reasons for agents to mostly do what they do in the background. This is just so weird. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at. My sense is people are trying to make sure that Jess Clouse's next book gets unpublished. I don't think there'll be enough there, but just the fact that so many people are gleefully trying and also just that like she's now permanently tarred as capital R racist, despite having not done anything remotely racist. I'm worried about the effect this stuff has on people's enjoyment of reading and writing. And during one of my rounds of interest in this stuff, I solicited emails uh, from people in YA fiction who were afraid to speak up publicly. And I published a five part series on my newsletter. It's all free. I'll link to it. People hate this shit. There's so many people quietly trying to like latch on to YA fiction and become first time authors who just see what's going on on Twitter and it makes them want to flee in the other direction. So it seems to really be destroying at least one corner of this genre of writing. Well, so why is this happening specifically and why in YA? I think it's a combination of um, fandom cultures are toxic in general and yes. young adult fiction develops like 
you know, there are people who love adult fiction, but you don't find as many people who are like You don't get fucking tattoos about anything but like Harry Potter. I mean I have a fucking yeah. I have a Ramona Quimby tattoo. I mean I would not have that about <laughs> I know it's embarrassing. I wouldn't have that about like I don't know what what book have I read recently about the Jesse right. Single book forthcoming right. from uh from MSG. I, like and I don't want to be a dick, but I think if you're a thirty or forty or fifty something person who reads children's books or like young adult books how do i phrase this you might be more likely to it might attract a certain kind of person um and then if these twitter communities they incentivize antisocial behavior and the sort of behavior you normally see from people i'm using this very specifically but people with like borderline personality disorder like people who just are very erratic and strange and lash out and are impossible to build trusting relationships with I'm not saying the people who perpetrate this stuff on Twitter have anything wrong with them, but but that kind of behavior is directly incentivized. So like any community that gets that crazy and that toxic is going to drive out the normal people. There's also the, – will you talk a little bit about own voices or our voices or whatever it's called? Yeah. So, so hashtag own voices is basically the idea that if there's like a, a black character, it should be written by a black author. Um, there's a grain of truth in that and that you wouldn't want a situation where like – all the books about non-white authors are written by white authors, but like it breaks down and gets kind of racist very quickly. I actually, one of the uh, writers of color who emailed me said that a white agent had told them that their next submission, it would be better if it would be own voices, which is literally, if you translate that to normal speak, that is literally the same as saying to a black author, you know, I hope right. the next thing you submit me has a black main character, which is ridiculously offensive. Right. Okay. And so own voices. This is this is like a, a legitimate uh, effort within YA to I don't know if it's diversify even, but to sort of like center minority voices. Yeah, not just minority voices, but minority voices uh, writing 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 minority characters. Yeah, and and part of what's so weird here is just there's this insistence that these fantasy universes have to follow the same sort of um, patterns of racism and oppression we see in our real world. Like one of the blowups was because a book was advertised as existing in a world where racial discrimination wasn't a thing. This this infuriated a major YA author. She thought that alone was reason to drag the book but that there's like a, a like a fictional world where racism doesn't like there's a utopia story that that enraged her well well there were other problems in this world but race like skin color was just not a major way of categorizing people but you know what for for a lot of human history skin color hasn't been as big a deal as it is now either like you don't have to go to another universe to, to find that world i mean for most of human history for most of human history there wasn't that much like racial mixing right um you know people lived like if you were an asian person you lived exclusively around asian people and black people and white i mean for most of human history like we lived in in much smaller less diverse environments yeah but but even in like major empires like uh multi-ethnic ones like the roman empire or whatever a lot of like asian empires there was always like there have always been places where there's been racial and ethnic mixing but and there's been prejudice and suspicion but it's often been more complicated than like any sort right, of strict right. racial caste system uh, caste system all of which is to say like it's just that's just an example getting mad at a book because that book doesn't have american style racism in it that's like the level these quote-unquote critics are operating at wow man this makes me want to like curl up with some uh with some ya or maybe read american dirt finally american dirt was pretty good um that was like a whole other thing but um i guess that's technically adult fiction but uh yeah man this 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 is if if you like watching dysfunctional toxic internet drama which 
for whatever terrible broken brain reason I do, I, I cannot recommend YA Twitter enough. These are just like the, some of the worst and craziest people. And it's, it affects publishing. It has books have been unpublished and it's so disturbing to me that us normal people who don't have bizarre hangups have to like sort of be affected or punished by this crazy group of people who should just like, they should just form their own publishing houses for boring paint by numbers fiction i like that you just referred as a, to yourself as a normal person who don't ha, who doesn't have hang-ups <laughs> yeah, exactly. um okay so before we uh before we wrap up the episode i want to ask you so you decided to jump into this and start tweeting maniacally about it yeah. how was the response to your tweets at this point so many of them have it was, it was oh it got me a lot of attention and a lot of new followers and it was like almost entire when you expose normal people these stories always do well page views wise they always yeah. do well so whenever you expose normal people to a crazy subculture, they're like, wow, that's crazy. Uh, and I also think it latches on to a lot of culture war stuff. So I am sure like the YA people who hate me are – They double hate you now. Mad at me and talk – yeah, they're talking shit about me. But whatever. Right. Like they're – they – I'm allowed to criticize people for being crazy online and for harm – this is like – an innocent writer got harmed here when her only crime was like she got a little bit too mean in a tweet storm. Like half the people criticizing her have said much meaner, more virulent stuff than she said. Does all of this have anything else to do with that other insane literary tweet storm that went viral this week about the worm? <laughs> That was by David Bowles. David Bowles is like an activist and academic who he didn't read American Dirt. And then he got to write a New York Times column about American Dirt. What? Yeah. After not reading it? Did he say in the column that he didn't read it? No, but he made a basic – he he basically – in American Dirt, the woman can't – she and her son are fleeing cartel members. And um, the book goes to great lengths to explain why she can't take a plane to get to the States or Canada. Uh, she can't do other safer methods of travel. So she has to take a train called La Bestia, I think the beast, with all these poor migrants even though she's middle class. The book spends thousands of words explaining how she got to that point. His New York Times column says, like, you know this book is authentic because it inexplicably has her taking this train with migrants even though she has money. Right, right. So he didn't read the fucking book. Like, it's a plot point you could not – it's a plot point you could not miss if you read the book. And then because he does sort of the woke, this is racist take, he gets to a platform in the New York Times. That's ridiculous. So what was he freaking out about this week? Do you want to pull up the tweet? Because he basically – he was complaining about these cannon fights. And you should read this tweet because it was amazing, the Worms one. Yeah. Okay, so I have pulled this up. This is David Bowles. He has a rainbow avatar uh, or a rainbow flag in his Twitter bio. His bio reads, award-winning writer, translator, associate, professor, Chicano, he, him, pansexual. Okay, that's good because I was I was curious whether he was pansexual, so I'm glad that that clarified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. He also has his name – he has like his name, David Bowles, and then he has a name that is written in a language I can't – It could be like his, indig his indigenous name, maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's his indigenous name. Okay. Um, so this is a, a long tweet thread. Um, I, I don't know if this was in reaction to the to the initial controversy that we talked about. The date is November 30th. It seems related. Um, it starts out, nobody with shitty reactionary regressive take on the classics in the newsroom today actually knows a goddamn thing about literacy or the point of English instruction in public schools. Hint, dumbasses, it's not to turn out English majors. Blah, blah, blah. 
Um, okay, this goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> you disgusting worms. I can read in 12 different languages. I have an MA in English and a doctorate in education. And even I think that the classics are shit for modern kids. You are not on my level. Trust me. So take a motherfucking seat and leave my it's people like, alone. Do you like Modest Mouse? Um, no, I prefer an earlier, much more obscure band called humble rat you disgusting worms <laughs> you disgusting worms so i assume that he is on the side of of mrs miss herman uh in this case yeah i also this is what i mean by like there being a thin line between performative craziness and genuine craziness because if someone said that in person and screamed it you'd be like this person's going through a manic episode and we don't we don't we don't know like these people might be unwell but it's just like not uh, Twitter incentivizes this. Although he got dragged by everyone because the disgusting worm so <laughs> You're disgusting. Listen up. Hey, I want to try to convince you of something. So listen up, you disgusting worms. <laughs> that always works. The only thing works that works better than shame is calling people names. I feel so dirty. I feel like I need to take a shower. Do we have to talk about this anymore or are we done? I think we're done. All right. Well, just uh, I'll include a lot of links in the show notes if you want more details on this. As always – uh, you can reach out to us at blockedreportedpodcast at gmail.com, patreon.com slash blockedreported for up to, well, at least I should say three f- extra episodes per month for just $5 a month. Great deal, right? Yeah, we've been really going above and beyond. This is, this is as good a deal as paying $7 a month for the New York Times crossword. Way better. That's all way I got to say. We, we get, you get way more content. Um, we are about to record a Patreon-only episode about girl bosses, uh, the rise and fall of the girl boss, um, which I think is a pretty interesting phenomenon that is happening right now. I agree. Um, and then, yeah, please pre-order my book, The Quick Fix. Katie, get used to hearing that. Um, oh, we have more than a 1,000 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Let's get to fucking – let's get to 25 million reviews. I think that's obtainable. Yeah, that's definitely obtainable. We also have merch. Our sale, our merch store is back up and running. <laughs> back online, baby. I am currently wearing a blocked and reported hoodie right now. It is very comfortable, I have to say. You can find those at barpod.org. Barpod.org, which may lead you to ask, are you a charity? Does all the money go to charity? <laughs> the answers respectively to those two questions are no yes. and yes. none. <laughs> Barpod.org is a registered 501c3 dedicated to enriching Jesse Singlin King Herzog. And Moose. Moose gets, a, gets some, some moose. new, new uh, rawhide out of it. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Singlin, and remember, it is not my job to educate you, you disgusting worms. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, if you don't like this podcast, you can sit on attack and spin. <laughs>